Hey, everyone. Thanks for coming back for another week, or if this is your first time, thanks for being here. This week, I have a really fun guest. It's Dr. Amanda Gummer, and she actually really researches play and toys and kids and how they interact with toys, and that's probably oversimplifying what she does, but we met on an app called Lunch Club. It's a this AI app or website that pairs you with people, and I joined because a friend invited me, and I spent about one hour a week on there just meet a random person, and sometimes it's a really cool connection, and sometimes it's not, and it's really neat. I mean, if honestly, if anyone listening needs a referral, let me know, but it's a good way to just meet people and see their LinkedIn profile, see mutual interests, and you might end up with someone on your podcast like I did, but Dr. Gummer's just a really nice lady. She had an interesting career path like a lot of my guests have, and she became an entrepreneur and runs the Good Play Guide, and I think really for parents, it'd be a great resource, and I think it is a great resource, so parents listening, definitely check them out. I think this is way more reliable than any Amazon reviews you're going to read. It's really well-researched, and what toys are good for kids and for different goals. Like We also talked a lot about screen time. I know screen time is something that a lot of parents worry about just because I, you know, a lot of my friends are parents or my sister is, and so I talked to them, and I've thought about it because I just think I'm even worried about my own screen time. So we got into a lot of different subjects. I'm putting this one up this week because I had a few guests actually I could have used, but I, I was really excited about this for this week. It's Mother's Day in the States this week, so some people will be listening and say, yeah, we already had Mother's Day, but that's in the U.S. it's Mother's Day. And so this is one person who is doing stuff directly to benefit parents and children, and I thought she'd be really great. She's a mother herself. There is a, also a bonus episode this week that, well, I cried when we were, I mean, I don't know, I'm crying a lot lately. I'm getting a little, <laughs> I had stopped doing that for a while, but now I'm doing it again. I'm just getting emotional. I think it's just being in lockdown for over a year and not seeing my family and stuff. But I have a, a really cool episode coming up on Mother's Day. It's focused on mothers specifically, the job of being a mother. And my guests are two of my best friends and my sister also. So it's going to be really cool. I'm going to edit it soon. And I mean, by the time anyone hears this, I probably will have it edited. We'll see. But I've never edited four tracks before. So we'll see how that goes. It, it's really fun though. And I think the episodes complement each other really well, but definitely if this resonates with you, share it to some people. I think I'm really interested in sometimes in how like kids develop over time and just how the things in our child impact us as adults. And, you know, we've all, anyone listening has gone through being a child and we don't know what the psychology was, you know, around us when we were kids and our parents certainly didn't and they did the best they could. And I almost think it's amazing how well parents do considering there is real, no real handbook for us. And, uh, we get into that too. So, and if you're not a parent, I still think this is interesting. I mean, I'm not a parent and I was very interested in this conversation and really enjoyed it. And I also really enjoyed the conversation that will be up on Sunday but I don't have much to say this week. I think it's just been kind of a nice week. And 
nothing really that I feel compelled that I need to talk about other than just, you know, don't forget if you happen to listen to this, I hope you're not relying on this podcast to inform you of holidays because you could listen to it at any time. And, um, it's not really necessarily timely for that, but you know, just happy mother's day to all the moms out there. I'll, I, I hope you all have a good week and that all the kids and partners behave <laughs> leading up to it. And those of you who maybe have already lost your mother or a parent even this year, just I hope that you find comfort in their memory and that you have a nice day on Sunday too. Because I know, especially in the last year, a lot of people lost someone and generally that just you know happens over time, especially as we get older. So just want to put that out there too because I know not everybody's going to necessarily celebrate on Sunday. This is one of two for the moms and for all the parents and for all the people who buy toys for kids. And there's a lot of aunts like me or uncles or others who do that as well, or just friends of people with kids. So I hope you enjoy this. Again, I really want to hear what people think. I want to hear if you have guest ideas. Let me know. I'm a lot of times just finding finding guests that sound interesting to me through all different means, but I just am really excited to share this one with you and always really grateful for whoever's listening. So thanks a lot. Welcome to More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is defined by more than your job title. I'm Rabia, an IT project manager, comedian, nonprofit volunteer, and sometimes activist. Every week, I'll chat with a guest about pursuing passions outside of work or creating meaningful opportunities inside the workplace. As you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to do the same. Here we go. Welcome back this week, everyone. I'm really excited about this guest. It's, I think, my first psychologist that I'm having on the show. And she's also the founder of Good Play Guide, Dr. Amanda Gummer. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, yeah, I don't get to talk about the sort of business side of, of my life a lot. It's, it's normally the, the kids and the play and the parenting and all that kind of stuff. So it's nice to just talk about the work and the, kind of the, the entrepreneurial side of, of, of me and my life. So I'm, I'm really excited yeah. to be here. Good. And I'm not a parent, so I could actually avoid any questions about <laughs> my kids anyway. So <laughs> cool. Well, so like I said, you're a psychologist, but you're the founder of Good Play Guide. So do you want to tell people what Good Play Guide is? Sure. So for parents and educators, goodplayguide.com is a free resource full of ideas and advice on child development, play and parenting. It's the home of the Good Toy Guide, the Good App Guide, um, and soon to be other guides to give parents impartial information on, you know, product and and, um, service reviews. So that's all backed up by the B2B side of the business, which is a research consultancy specializing in, in helping um, organizations understand kids better so that they can make better products and services for the kids and hopefully make some more money in the process. But actually the, the key thing for us is to to help make the world more playful and get kids the support and the, the tools that they need and parents too, to make their lives easier. So yeah, so it's, um, we have a kind of consumer facing part of the business, but but it's all built on, on the kind of research and consultancy that we do for businesses. That's great. And I think it's interesting because a lot of people rely on 
either just popularity, like their kids might tell them something when they're older, right? Their kids will say, I want this toy, that toy, or trends, or maybe just the idea that like they went on Amazon and looked at reviews that who knows why someone wrote a review on Amazon. It could be a number of reasons. Usually either they hate something or they got paid to write something, but yeah, exactly. Um, And I think that's one of the main reasons I set up the Good Toy Guide. And that was um, back in 2012 was um, the kind of the pester power, giving parents a bit of ammunition in that, that battle against that. I want, I want, I want. I've seen it on TV. It looks cool. I want it. And then, you know, you buy it and five minutes later, it's either in the bin or broken or, you know, never used again and just chucked in the back of a cupboard somewhere and, and it's complete waste. But the marketing team have done a really good job and, and made the kid want it. So the parents now have a way of checking, you know, what age is it suitable for? What do the kids who've tested it think? What do the experts think? What, what How does it help their kids develop? Is it something that the their kids are going to like if they're into, you know, construction toys or make-believe or arts and crafts and stuff? So that's that's the point of that. It's a sort of a checks and balances so that when your kids can when your kids are doing that I want I want you've got you've got somewhere to go for some impartial advice on whether the toy is actually going to last more than uh you know till boxing day or whatever yeah or just the kid's going to play with the box longer than they play with the actual <laughs> yeah, toy yeah we see that <laughs> yeah <laughs> like oh it's a helmet no that was your toy but anyway <laughs> yeah so you're a psychologist first basically and went to school and got your education for that. So can you talk a little little bit about, I guess, getting into psychology? And then I want to lead into how you ended up going into this side of things. Okay. So I, when I was at school, I wanted to be a marine biologist, but I, (laughs) I was, I sucked at chemistry. (laughs) And so I managed to kind of divert from chemistry to a, a psychology AS level at the time. So that was kind of like a half an A level which allowed me to then get in to do psychology at uni because I just loved it. So I did a psychology degree and was wondering what to do next. Liked the idea of doing a PhD. Liked, I like research. I like finding things out. And I went in and yeah, I took a year off in bet- after my bachelor's, went and traveled and taught English and saw the world and had a great time, but actually decided I did want to do more with my psychology. And there was an opportunity to go back to Sheffield, which is where I did my undergrad, and do a PhD looking at the parts of the brain involved in memory. So I set out there with massive goals of, you know, curing Alzheimer's and all the rest of it. But I just, yeah, just think the the technology wasn't quite um, there. And and my PhD ended up being a really great exercise in, in... ruling things out so I didn't didn't cure Alzheimer's didn't find anything useful just kind of spent three years examining different kind of brain damage and the the effect that has on memory wasn't really child related but I think it was the research and that kind of the methodology that set me up really well for the the kind of the job that I'm doing now and then when I when I had kids I went back to the the child development side of things which formed quite a big part of my undergrad degree and sort of reignited my interest in that. So I went back and did some study in there and, and did some teaching for the Open University on child development, got all up to speed. And then the rest really is history. So as far as just the childhood, child development, had you been interested in that prior at all? Or did that just happen as a result of your path? One of my favorite studies was looking at kids' ability to give informed consent surgery and I did that as part of my undergrad degree and looking at children's competency and what they understand and how they perceive the world and 
you know, things like their permanent, whether when they understand the permanence of death and where their sort of social and emotional development is and where their cognitive development is. And there's often a mismatch and you need, you know, you need to be at a threshold for both to be able to give that kind of informed consent. So I really enjoyed that. And that was the developmental psychology module in my undergrad degree was one of my favorites. So it was that side of things that I sort of picked back up, but it was definitely prompted by me having kids and, and not being as natural a kind of earth mother as I thought I would be. And I was like, I've got a degree in psychology and I've got, you know, on paper, I should be finding this easy. Why, why am I not? What, what's going on? And it just, yeah, when I sort of hit the books and, and studied and, and found some really interesting angles on what's happening and what's happening to childhoods and what's happening to parenting and how that's all working and the impact that's having on, on modern day parents and then the impact that that is then having on the kids. And it's something I felt really quite strongly about, partly because of my own experience, but just because I feel like we're selling ourselves a bit short with the kids and the parents. We're, we're sort of putting a load of pressure on people who are trying their best and getting bombarded and we're almost trying too hard and the kids are suffering as a result of it so I think I've done loads of just sort of odd bits and pieces throughout my life that has reinforced the value of play in in sort of being an answer to most questions and I think that was where I came out is like actually if we just all chilled back a bit and stop being this sort of pressure parenting and hot housing our kids and we all just bring a bit more playfulness into everybody's life the parents benefit the kids benefit what, what's not to love about that and it's fun yeah. to do as well as a job it's great yeah I mean just to well to work with something that is fun I mean there's like the heaviness isn't really there I guess as compared to other aspects of psychology or even child psychology right it's- yeah yeah and I'm incredibly grateful for that because you know like, there's research and things that we can that we look at to help people who are struggling and and you know with conditions and special needs and issues that that parents and children face but the vast majority of my work involves watching kids having fun with toys so it's yeah it's it's great from looking at child development to really going into the market research aspect of things and doing all of that that again serendipity plays a big part in all of this so my dad used to sell toys and one of the companies that he was working for wanted to do some research into whether a games console that was doing well in the, in Japan would work in a UK market. And I'd just come back from living in Hong Kong for a couple of years, teaching special needs and English over there. And I got two young kids and I was just looking, trying to figure out what I was doing. I was teaching for the Open University at the time. And I was just trying to figure out what my next step was going to be. And I said, well, oh, how hard can that be to run a focus group? So I did mm-hmm. it, obviously charged them peanuts. And I think the thing that set set me up was the fact that I put a lot of the child development and the child psychology into the market research. So it wasn't just X number of children said this and that number of children said this and they, these did that. It was I interpreted that with, with my child development head on. And they found that really interesting and really useful. And it was so much more than you get from a standard sort of market research agency that they then used me again and again, commended me out. And actually, it just kind of evolved because, and it was brilliant because my kids were little, so I was able to do, to work around them um, and build the business up, but gain some really valuable experience and work with some really interesting people along the way. So by the time the kids were old enough for me to sort of go full pelt at this, I'd got a bit of a track record and I got some case studies and I got a name in the industry and 
yeah, it kind of fell into place. So I'm incredibly lucky that uh, I'd love to say there was some great big plan, but it just it was largely serendipitous that my life turned out the way it has. It was being in the right place at the right time, I guess. Yeah. Well, and do you think you're maybe did you have like a more open attitude towards play and toys and games by virtue of what your dad did for work and your exposure to that? Or do you think it didn't play it at all? My childhood was very playful. My parents were, you know, they played games. That was that is my memory of my childhood. My grandparents were always up for a game and, and sometimes the sillier the better. But, you know, we invented games. My parents were the first people to create extra questions for Trivial Pursuit. You know, we, we did stuff around games for as a family for from when I was when I was you know a toddler so I've always grown up playing and I think that's definitely stuck with me I just thought of something when you're talking about games I in my family each generation has a cheater who at a very (laughs) young age (laughs) starts I was the one when my generation now my knees will cheat do you see anything like does that indicate something about later behavior like I'm very a rules follower now but do you see kids cheat in games? I'm just curious. Yeah, it's actually, it's a natural part of child development. They go through a phase of lying and cheating because it's <laughs> it's part of their sort of moral progression. And a lot depends on how you deal with it as to how long it lasts and, and, and whether it becomes a permanent characteristic or not. But yeah, I think it's very normal for children to go through that phase. Okay, so people don't need to worry if they no. <laughs> have a little, little cheater. That they, that they play hi-ho chariot with or something, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, good. I think that'll reassure at least my sister, possibly. So that's good. <laughs> cool. Uh, so has there been anything that you've learned from your work or while you were doing your work that you kind of applied to your own parenting? Did anything happen where you're like, oh, I had an insight that now I can apply? Or has it ever been that direct for you? Yeah, so I'm living in sort of leafy Hertfordshire and it's, a hotbed of competitive parenting Mm -hmm. and I think my research showed me that kids do their own thing in their own way and I I, I'm a fan of Lev Vygotsky a Russian psychologist and his approach was much more about the order in which kids develop rather than the age at which they develop so you sit before you stand you stand before you walk you walk before you run but whether you do that at six eight twelve nine you know 18 months or whether you do it at one two three and four doesn't Mm -hmm. it's less of an issue and so I I felt like I was able to avoid that falling into that competitive parenting trap because I just wasn't that bothered. <laughs> my kids weren't walking or talking or doing something. I was able to go, you know what, it's it's fine. They're, it's it's about whole person development. It's not about you know how fast they can talk, how fast they walk, how, how quickly they read. They'll get there. And I think that saved me quite a lot of stress as a parent and quite quite a lot of battles with the kids as well in terms of, you know, getting whatever grades or doing whatever at school you know I've never needed to sort of compare the kids and I think that kind of letting them be them and celebrating them for who they are rather than trying to channel them down a particular route I think that Mm -hmm. definitely something that I think has come from my sort of studies and my work but I I remember being a teacher in Hong Kong and talking to parents this was before I had kids and I was so full of it I, I thought I knew everything I'd read all the books I was a great parent I was I couldn't understand why everybody found it so difficult <laughs> and then you have kids your own you're like oh yeah okay fine <laughs> that that's not quite how it works is it and you're like okay so and I think that's something that 
I enjoy the fact that I kind of I've got the theoretical knowledge, but I get the I get that real life happens and it's not ideal. And you know, so when I'm sort of talking to parents or even toy manufacturer or something, you've got the kind of the reality, the kind of pragmatism of real life on top of the kind of the the academic theories and evidence and stuff. So I think that's it's a good balance to have. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I know that parents get advice, unsolicited advice all the time. I mean, it's just a fact. And they get it from someone like, you know, like me who has no kids. They get it from their their parents or just from strangers who want to suggest how they might stop their kid crying in public or something like that. Right. And it's got to be really difficult. And there is no one book that's going to solve it. No. So when you look at kind of your life and you working, you know, and parenting and working basically how have you been able to balance that it sounds like you grew your business as the kids were growing meaning they had more independence so you were able to you know do more for work yeah so I've definitely not always got it right the first thing I did with my first kind of commission or paycheck from a piece of work was to hire a cleaner was (laughs) because I was decided that that's I I don't want to buy new clothes I don't I, I don't want to have to clean the house as much as I have to clean the house currently so that was my first you know if I'm earning this money and I get to choose what I do with it that was top of my to-do list and I think that has yeah that's been a savior of my sanity so I think the whole you can have it all and do it all is a bit of a myth because you can but you need support and so figuring out what I could outsource and and yeah cleaning was absolutely up there I was able to to build the business around the children but I, you know I had supportive parents my mum used to come down and look after the girls for me and I got help you know family and friends so again couldn't have done it on my own and then I went through a, fee, a phase of and I think anybody who's got their own business knows that you just you don't really switch off it's part of who you are and I fought that for a while because everyone's like well what hobbies do you have and what do you do with your spare time and what you know what do you do to take a break and and where's your work-life balance? And then I was introduced to a concept of a work-life blend rather than a work-life balance. And because mm-hmm. because what I do is very much a part of who I am, I don't I don't feel able to just kind of switch it off. So I don't have that distinction between working and and you know I'm sitting here chatting to you. Arguably, this is good PR for me, but it's equally it's just a nice chat because I like talking mm-hmm. about my work and I like talking about play and child development and all that kind of stuff. So there's less of a distinction. And so I've gone for the work-life blend, which means I'm kind of always on, but I have sort of peaks and troughs. And so when it's quiet at work and if I go and, you know, I take a Wednesday afternoon and I go for a long walk with a friend, then that's great. I absolutely don't clock watch. and I don't like the, the culture of the organization is not is, is definitely not around clock watching. It's about sort of being accountable and doing your own thing and making sure you're delivering, but treating everybody like grownups and giving them the space to do it. And I realized I needed to do that for myself as well and just mm-hmm. be like you manage your own time and if I've got a deadline that's really important and I end up working until you know crazy o'clock then that's fine but I equally it's fine for me to take a day to just to chill and I don't necessarily need to book it off or ask permission because it's my business so the kind of perks of the job as well I needed to kind of give myself permission to enjoy the fact that I wasn't on anybody else's clock because I'm always the sort of the buck stops here so when there's something wrong it, it's always me that they call at whatever time so 
essentially I'm on call 24 seven. And, mm. and I, again, had to realize that, you know, nobody's going to die if I don't answer a call or respond to an email. So it's okay to take time for myself. It was interesting, sort of managing what I wanted with what other people expected, because there's this whole, you know, mindfulness and well-being and looking after yourself. But when you actually really love what you do, it's part of it. If you said to me, you know, how, what would a fun Saturday morning be to you? A few weeks ago, I was walking with a friend around a primary school redesigning their, their playground. And that to me was a fun Saturday morning. I, you know, I wouldn't, I didn't want to go and play golf or tennis or whatever. And I, you know, I love swimming and I, and I travel and I've got, you know, great friends that I like spending time with and, and chilling with, but I don't, I don't have, you know, lots of different outlets for my sort of personal well-being because if I want to curl up with a book, I'll curl up with a book. And if I want to read a book on child development or play or the latest trends in whatever then that's interesting to me too and it's just it's just something I'm interested in so that whole giving myself permission to be okay with the fact that I'm what a lot of people would call a workaholic has been an interesting journey well and yeah it seems like when you do enjoy what you do it feels a lot different than just being work and you're also doing work that can make an impact on people in running your company and in growing it and growing the b2b side and the b2c side did you find at some point like you weren't enjoying one aspect more and then you decided to you know is that when you decided to hire and get help or how how do you decide what you do if you're the the buck stops here person yeah Yeah, so i have i've tried to identify the bits that i'm not good at and hire people who are good at those bits Mm -hmm. and more recently i've tried to find people to do the bits i don't like doing regardless of whether i'm good at them or not and i think you know we're getting there on that and i think just being able to go if i want the business to grow and if if i want it to fulfill the potential i know it has i need to have some smart people running bits of it that i can just let go of and and kind of essentially just let them do and you know i'm creating the culture i'm communicating the vision i'm making sure that the whole thing fits together i don't want to be the person who cares whether somebody's had too many days off in lieu or turned up late three days on the trot that's that's the bit i i'm very happy to be not doing anymore well it's definitely not a fun part i don't think just managing those kind of things so in looking at i mean just i think of from my childhood to now and how things have changed and primarily the digital world right and so a lot of kids, and I have an opinion on this, so I'm going to ask it, but try not to lead on this one. A lot of kids are playing by just being on a video game. Do you consider that to be like enough play, so to speak, playing quotes? So if you ask kids these days, they do not differentiate between playing a game online or playing with a Lego bricks or a dressing up game. So they're just playing. As far as they're concerned, play is play is play. It's the grown-ups who have a, a distinction, and I think there's a lot of fear of the unknown, and we didn't grow up with technology like that. So, you know, my parents used to let me watch half an hour of TV, you know, and but there was that was all the kids' TV that was on, so I didn't really want to watch too much more than that anyway. So, you know, it wasn't really an issue, but they were still worried about how much telly I watched. So I think it's a generational thing. You always worry about the next the next innovation. We, again, have done quite a lot of research into this, and we've come up with a model called the balanced play diet or the balanced play pyramid. 
And the analogy is the nutritional diet and the way that you wouldn't let your kids eat chips and chocolate every day. You wouldn't let them sit on a screen every day and do the passive solitary sedentary kind of activities that are those kind of repetitive sticky games. There's actually quite a lot of stuff that can be done on a screen that's really good for kids. And it can help kids who don't learn particularly well in a social setting like a classroom. It can help them engage with concepts such as maths and reading and science and stuff through some really quite clever apps and games that are out there. It can help keep communication going, especially during the pandemic. You know, kids have communicated and kept friendships going and nurtured relationships through technology. And I think for us, it's all about the play pattern that is being facilitated. And so in the same, you've got your superfoods, same as a a sort of normal diet. So active, social, creative, imaginative, free child-led play is your superfood of the play diet. And if your kids are eating their, their dinner and they want more broccoli, you tend to give it to them if you've got it spare, if, it, if they can possibly have it. And it's the same mm-hmm. with that kind of play. So recognizing the huge benefits that that play gives kids. Now, and then you go down to the solitary, sedentary and passive stuff, which is the everybody needs a bit of time out every now and again. Everybody needs to zone out. Everybody needs to chill. And everybody has, you know, a bar of chocolate or a pack of crisps or something. And that's fine in moderation. And it's just about getting that balance right. And you've got all the different, you know, educational games where you're learning stuff, you may be following rules, there's maybe an objective to winning or to succeeding in whatever it is you're doing. There's a place for that, absolutely a place Mm -hmm. for that. And that's, that's a different type of play than that kind of let's just go and play out in the woods and go crazy. And then there's the, the sort of quiet play, you know, sitting and enjoying a book together or doing a jigsaw puzzle, those kind of that solitary play. So playing on your own, isn't bad for you it's just not something you want to do all the time but just right. getting that balance right is so important and so the whole screen time debate it's it's basically what else are they doing with their time are they doing lots of other things and are they outside with friends but also what are they doing when they're on their screen and if it's solitary sedentary and passive then yes it really does need limiting if it's creative imaginative social educational then it, that's just the way the world is. And, and I think fighting that is a bit of a losing battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact is like, I'm not, for example, I have TikTok. I'm not a TikTok person. You know, I just can't for some reason. I'll just, I'd rather watch TV. My sister will scroll it forever. And, you know, it's just kind of two different people, how they act with it. But I think I see the same with my nephews and niece. Like one plays video games all the time. The other one will play sometimes just to zone out because he's really busy, you know? So I just think that it's interesting because, but all parents feel guilty about screen time. Like that's one thing I've heard all my friends who are parents say, like, I'll never give my kid an iPad. And then like two years later, for sure, the kid's got an iPad and he's <laughs> yeah. better than any of us. Like, you know? Yeah. And I think that guilt and the fear and the, there's a lot of preconceptions and I think it's a lack of understanding. And and one of the things I tell parents all the time is to meet your kids where they're at. So if they're on social media, if they're doing Snapchat, whatever it is, I mean, older kid this is, but even the young kids get involved with what games they're playing online. Don't have it as an alien thing. So, because you need, that's going to be their world. We're in a digital world now. Kids are growing up with it. You want to be able to talk to them and relate to them about what's going on in their lives. So keep up with what they're doing and then it becomes less scary you're then able to guide them that whole sort of meet them where they're at lead them where you want them to go they're online they're doing stuff but actually maybe instead of playing that game here's an app that I think you might like because actually that one develops these skills and that's something that 
we're keen to get the kids doing or you know so it just mm-hmm. gives you that a, a bit more a bit more leverage and a bit more insight into what into your kids world which is is really good for sort of ongoing trust and communication and the relationship so yeah no, that's true and you actually presented the balanced play pyramid at, at the european parliament before we went yeah. into this fun lockdown that we've been in <laughs> Yeah, I did. Yeah, that was it was a really interesting exercise, actually. And it was lovely to see I've, I've presented it in lots of places. And it's always got a, a really great reaction. But at this point, I was there with a representative from the WHO. And the WHO, and I have different opinions on how this works. And I get I get where they're coming from. And I, I understand the kind of the science behind it. But they've got guidelines on you know how much exercise a child of three should have how much screen time they should have and and it's all very dictatorial and it's very much a kind of no more than half an hour screen time and at least two hours exercise and I feel like parents resent that because the parents that are actually paying attention to those kind of guidelines it's just another bit of stick to beat yourself up with because if you don't manage the two hours of exercise that day or if you give them more than half an hour screen time, does that make you a bad parent? And that's just that parental guilt that we're all sort of fighting. And the minute you say you must do this or you should do that, half the population switch off because they're so sick of being told what they can and can't do or should or shouldn't do. And so the idea behind the balanced play diet is it's a framework. You figure out what works. If you've got a hungry child, you give them more food. If you've got an energetic child, you give them more active play. It's a similar thing. It's allowing a bit more individuality. It's a giving parents back the decision making and the autonomy over their family's lives without saying, oh, you're a bad parent if you let your kids watch 45 minutes of TV and they're only three. And also with the screen based play, it really does depend what you're doing on the screen. Screen based play on its own now it's far too varied to be able to just call it screen time because there's lots of different things that kids do with their screens so it shouldn't all be lumped together but uh, yeah I think by the end of the session I think I won most people around to the slightly more empowering slightly more individualized framework rather than the hard numbers and the the you must do this you shouldn't do that kind of approach. That's pretty cool because I do think that yeah, people do beat themselves up all the time. And then even as adults, like parents think about what their parents did and, you know, start repeating patterns and freak out about that too, which is always kind of funny when anyone realizes they've become like their mother or like their father. In your job, when do you feel the most, I don't know if successful is the right word, but most satisfied with what you're doing? And like, was there a point earlier on when you ever thought like, well, I'm a psychologist, I could have just done like a private practice or something, but I kept going down this path. Is there anything that's kept you there and also told you that that's what you should be doing? I love it when I see, I'm talking to people and because I do this day in and day out, for me, a lot of what I say is just like obvious. Why wouldn't people? And and talking to people and them going, oh, I'd never thought of it like that. I love it when that happens. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Whether that's, you know, toy developers or app game developers or parents or whoever, teachers sometimes. There was one where there was some behavior management issues in a school and the the teacher's strategy was to keep the naughty kids in at break time and give them the lessons that they disrupted and make sure that they were, their learning was up to scratch. And when we sort of looked at it and it was like, the reason those kids are, are struggling is, 
possibly because they're borderline ADHD. Maybe they've just mm-hmm. got a lot of testosterone going around or adrenaline going around their bodies. Get them outside, get them running around and actually have that as the kind of consequence, if you like, of not being able to sit still. They'll wear themselves out, they'll come in and actually then they will be able to concentrate, absolutely transform the classroom. And mm. just that kind of, it makes sense when you say it. You know, this isn't intricate, you know, high fluting research or theories or anything. It's just stuff that people maybe haven't stopped to think about because when they do stop to think about it, they go, well, of course, that makes sense. And so I love those penny dropping moments when what I'm saying, people are like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, I feel like it's hard for kids now because every there's so much theory, like there's so much more accessible theory for people too than there used to be. Like there's a problem with the kid, go online, find a solution. Who knows who made it up? They just did. They just, yeah. oh, I do this. And then that's what people do. And I don't know. It kind of, it's difficult, I think, for kids because they're, a lot of times they're not doing it on purpose. Like they're not, they're not like, oh, I'm going to get this lady by yeah. talking in her class. It's more just they're talking. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I don't know if the comments from the education secretary, Gavin Williamson, um, today about kids being out of control and their behavior being, you know, unruly and they need, we need to crack down on it all. It's just, just yeah I'm, I'm on LBC later on talking about why that's not really the right approach and and I think being just taking that step back and understanding where the behavior is coming from and making sure that the remedy for bad behavior isn't actually exacerbating the situation because quite a lot of the time it is but from a, a sort of advice point of view you're absolutely right I remember sitting there with my firstborn and, and that she was I don't know four months old at the time and I was new to this and and again thought I should be finding it relatively easy because of my background but she wasn't sleeping and I had one book saying never wake a sleeping baby and another book saying wake every four hours and make sure you feed on a schedule and the other one was feed on demand and they were both written by very well respected authorities in and I was like well if they if the experts can't agree I'm just going to go with my gut and I'm going to go with my maternal instinct and I'm going to appreciate that what's right for me and my baby now might not be right for other people and it might not be right forever and I think that's given me a real kind of empathy and insight into the fact that kids don't come with a manual family life isn't the same for everybody and different people have different priorities as well you know is it important to you that your kids have a really wide palette and they try everything or is it important that they clear their plate and there's different value systems in different families, but you can't have both. It's it's sort of you've got to allow your family, your individual family situation to be reflected in the way that you parent and you bring up your kids. And I think that's something that with all this advice, it's very easy to feel like a bit of a kind of factory farm that there is a right way of doing things. And the end result is a child who gets straight A's and goes to university and is, you know, a doctor or a lawyer. That's yeah. true. And I think I don't know. I mean, if kids start to learn to make decisions and choices and stuff too, it seems like that's a useful skill to have eventually. You know? 100%. Absolutely. And it's all of those skills start from a really early age, you know, risk assessment, you know, do I, do I hurt myself if I do this? Well, let's let them hurt themselves when the, the result of that is a grazed knee rather than a car crash where they've got a, you know, they're on life support. You, you want to make sure that they're able to learn those really important skills when the consequences are less severe. Yeah. And do you think as an adult play is important and there are different like. Yeah. Yeah. Hugely. Yeah. 
I'm always still up for a game. And there's been a resurgence in, I mean, before lockdown, but there was a resurgence in board game clubs as a sort of a, a fun thing to do for adults. And I think people miss the playfulness of life, of, of childhood. And I think there's research studies around the benefit of play for staving off Alzheimer's and mm. your ability to it, how play can help you manage stress at work and how you can learn better if you're playful. You know, and whenever I'm doing any training, I make it as playful as I can because it's how kids, it's how people learn, and it's and it doesn't change just because you become a grown up. It it's how your brain works. It makes it more memorable. It makes it more fun. It makes it more interactive. So yeah, absolutely, play. You're never too old to play. I would 100% stand by that. Which I guess, yeah, it's ages something and up. There's never like a top limit. Yeah, exactly. On games, or there usually isn't. I guess you get more sophisticated after a while, and you'll play like the adult Monopoly instead of the kids Monopoly. But, you know, which I think kids Monopoly actually is better for me. (laughs) (laughs) It ends sooner. Is there any game or toy that you saw get really popular and you were just shaking your head and just kind of couldn't justify like it even being on your site or if you Um, don't want to call it out, that's fine. Yeah. I'm not going to name names, but I think there was a, there was about a two or three year period where the top toy, you know, the kind of, they come out with these lists of top toys for Christmas or whatever. And I think out of about four or five years, only one of the top toys actually made it into the guide. And that wasn't because we hadn't tested them. It's just that the top toys weren't actually that good. And I know there was a constipated dog that didn't do what it was supposed to do. And there were toys that were, were just the play value wasn't there. And then there were toys mm-hmm. that just didn't work. You know, after five minutes, they got the, the bits broke off or, or whatever. And and it's, yeah, I, I, I have an annual rally against some of those top toy lists because also what's a top toy what's good for a 10 year old who likes football is not necessarily good for a five-year-old who likes reading what makes a toy a top toy is is very arbitrary so I think that's again another reason I sort of stand by the good toy guide way of doing it is is we we rate things on fun skills developed and ease of use you've got that kind of overarching review and you know where the strengths are but you make your own decisions because if you've got a a kid who you think okay well he'd probably like that and this is what it does for them and now I understand that that's great fine and also it doesn't have to be an educational toy toys are supposed to be fun so Mm -hmm. a toy can be a good toy just just because it makes kids laugh and have have a good time even that is teaching them something it's teaching them about how to make themselves happy and you know who doesn't want their kids to do that yeah and then as far as just the thing I can think of when I'm thinking about what you do, which is going to be totally wrong, but I'm going to say it so then we can get to what you do. I think of like all these unboxing videos. Yep. And which I don't know, part of it just drives me nuts. Cause I'm like, why is that kid a millionaire who's opening a toy? Cause I, you know, I've opened toys. I'm not a millionaire, but like, I know what you do is more involved. So can you talk a little bit through the process that you go through? Yeah, and the unboxing video stuff has it has its place, and it's it's the sweets and the treats of the of the kind of entertainment thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's why I watch Gogglebox. It's that kind of enjoyment okay. factor, isn't it? But what we do is the the sort of the jargon phrase is ecologically valid research. So we're watching kids behave in normal ways in their familiar settings with adults that they trust, so that we are really observing authentic behaviour. And I think when you're doing research, that's so important. There's, there's a, I don't know where he's from, but there's a guy called Bron from Brenner who, who had this quote about child development is basically the study of strange kids in strange places doing strange things observed by strangers. 
And how the hell are you expected to, to make any generalization out of any of that? So for us, it's really important that we're watching kids doing normal everyday stuff with normal everyday things. Nice. Is there anything we didn't cover that you want to cover? Uh, I think my plea to parents and everybody is to just watch out for the fake stuff. There's a lot of fake reviews out there and there's a lot of, of dangerously fake toys. And I think mm-hmm. that's, you know, when we do, we put so much effort and energy into our kids to just go for the cheapest. If it looks too cheap and too good to be true, it probably is. And what that does is endangers the kids, but it also, you know, it takes away from the toy companies who are doing it right and, and investing in the R&D and the, you know, the, the play pattern and, and all the good stuff that we want toy companies to keep doing. And the, the more we can fight against the fakes, the, the better, I think, for everybody, the kids particularly. Yeah. It's uh, even just with other products, you see the same thing. You think you're buying something, but it's really this knockoff that kind of doesn't feel right. Amazon's what I'll name is just like there's a lot of different vendors there that aren't the authentic vendors. So sure. it's really tricky. Yeah. Do you have any other than that advice, like any advice or mantra that you want to share? Yeah, I guess I think my biggest learning as, as a kind of uh, single mum, single working mum entrepreneur building my own business is that just is is nurture your support network and but live your own truth and if somebody says if they don't understand your work-life balance or your decisions that's that's okay that's them you you know if it's your truth and, and you're comfortable with with what you're doing and how you're doing it stick to it and I think yeah I think on the entrepreneur journey isn't for everybody but but I think the freedoms that it allows you to have when it works and that kind of the control it allows you to have over the over your own life is is priceless. So I, I happily talk to anybody who's thinking about sort of setting out on that journey and how to avoid some of the mistakes I've made and I've seen other people make, but also how to how to enjoy the bits that the perks that it brings. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you've gotten there now where you yeah, you know, just from what you've talked about. So yeah. Ish. Much, ish getting there yeah pretty much <laughs> so, yeah. cool well i have i have a set of five questions that i like to ask every guest they're called the fun five so see there's a little bit of play here basically i was okay. trying to yeah what's so more? what's the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear uh, it's a top from my university ski club and it's got paint on it and everything now but i still wear it to decorate nice that's good. Yeah, it's like it's good to have those clothes that you kind of don't care about but still love in yeah. a way. So a lot of people, including myself, have said like it's like Groundhog's Day, at least for the last year. Every day seems very much the same. If it was really Groundhog's Day, what song would you have your alarm clock play every morning to wake you up? I'm really bad at names and titles of song, but the one that it's wake up, it's a beautiful morning that one because i think i need something positive to get me out of bed yeah yeah for sure okay and i'll i'll figure out which song that is not for my singing anyway (laughs) yeah maybe i'll i'll just um play it back in shazam and see what happens i'll be impressed (laughs) if that comes up on shazam (laughs) that'd be good ai right i mean just like premium ai all right coffee or tea or neither l gray tea every day nice do you put anything in it or splash of milk Okay. And you do that after you do the hot water, right? Or what? Yeah, yeah. 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 Earl Grey tea bag, hot water, splash of milk. Okay. Just so any Americans listening just can understand how to make tea. It's my cultural part of the podcast. (laughs) 
because <laughs> we don't know how. Okay, so can you think of a time that you like laughed so hard you cried or just something that makes you do that? I think possibly one of the reasons I like doing what I do so much is that my humor hasn't really graduated since past about the age of eight. So that <laughs> I, I just, I mean, farting's never not funny. And <laughs> That's true. And especially a really well-timed one, you know, when you're just, yeah, just, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> I can, I can, me and my friends can be in stitches just because somebody mistimed something and, and there's always, you know, that, yeah, toilet humour, I think, is just, yeah, yeah. Never, stop, never stops being funny. Well, like, you hear about, I don't think I've witnessed it, but people not muting the Zoom call. And thinking, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All of that. <laughs> yeah, or I don't know if you saw that video. So there's Joe Wicks who did these workouts. Yeah. And because if anyone hasn't seen it, it's so funny because that day he like tore his hamstring or something too. I don't think it was related to him farting, but it was like very coincidental. So yeah, okay, good. Well, you're right. That is. Say you love Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm very mature. Okay. And who inspires you right now? I have to say most of them are women and I'm really enjoying seeing some really high profile women getting the recognition they deserve for doing stuff. And whether that's, you know, Malala, Greta Thunberg, even somebody like Angela Merkel or, you know, Michelle Obama, Kamala Harris, just people who are out there and going, this is me, you know, I'm okay and I'm doing it. And, you know, I, yeah. People like that. Jacinda Ardern is probably top of my list at the minute. Oh, yeah. Well, done an incredible job. For sure. I mean, we we know that. We're both still in lockdown, so. (laughs) (laughs) And just so people know, coming out of it soon, I mean, we're like April 6th right now or something like that, 7th. I don't know what day it is. But anyway, by the time this airs, we'll be out of it. So if people want to look up Good Play Guide, maybe – what do you think is the best thing for them to do? I mean, obviously go to the website, but where would you point someone in the first place if they want to find the balanced uh, play guide, for example, or something? So that is on the good play guide. And um, yeah, I think it's goodtoyguide.com has got the, the balanced play pyramid. But if you, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. It's probably a really good place to catch up with either me or, or good play guide. We're on Insta, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. So yeah, fairly Googleable. But uh, yeah, the website by far I think for the consumers, goodplayguide.com is the main place. For businesses that are interested in, in whatever we do, goodplayguidehq.com is the B2B website. So that gives you a kind of good overview of who we are, what we do, and how and why we're trying to make the world more playful. Cool. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely have that in the show notes. So thanks so much for being on and for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for inviting me. It's been really good. I get to sit and talk about myself for an hour. What's not to like? Perfect. (laughs) Exactly. Thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about the guest in the show notes and at RobbieHasSaid.com. Joe Mafia created the music just for this podcast. Find him on Spotify. That's Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. And Rob Metke is responsible for our visual design. You can find him online by searching for Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Thanks, Rob. Let me know who you'd like to hear from or about your own experiences defining yourself outside of work. Follow at More Than Work Pod or send a message on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Or visit our website, morethanworkpod.com. 
Give us a follow on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review if you like. Thanks for listening to More Than Work. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.